Welcome to the 34 Welcome to Make Matriarchy Great Again. Good afternoon and welcome to the 34 Circe Salon. Here at 34 Circe, we discuss sundry matters like history, history, mythology, goddesses, and matriarchy. And today we are going to talk about warrior nuns and joining me, I'm Sean Newcomb. On today's show are Dawn Alden and Jody Buckley O'Reardon. And I, why don't you two warrior abbesses introduce yourselves? <laughs> well, um, my name is Dawn or Sam Alden, and I am a classically trained stage actress, also a producer, also um, a very uh, bad writer, a stage combatant, a stunt coordinator, um, all that kind of good stuff. And in uh, 1997, I founded a theater company in Chicago called Babes with Blades Theater Company. And we developed new works, um, and gender twisted old ones to uh, be able to perform fight scenes for women on stage. And uh, I am pleased to say that the theater company is still going strong in Chicago today. All right. That is, uh, I love the name always of that. And I just think that's just a great, great group. And people should go see this, the productions that they're doing. Absolutely. Now, Abbas O'Riordan, if you would. Uh, my name is Jody Buckley O'Riordan, and I am a former media analyst in the entertainment industry, and I'm finishing up my master's in library information sciences. I have two lovely young warrior nuns who I'm raising, <laughs> and uh, that is why I'm here today, to give my uh, opinion about... Um, the role of religion and women in the Middle Ages. All right. Well, what's the what was the deal with these warrior abbesses? They were way out of hand, weren't they? <laughs> they were, in fact. And uh, <laughs> tell and, tell our listeners what the what why is this a really interesting and fun topic to talk about? Uh, well, because in the uh, quote unquote Dark Ages, women actually had. Um, had more going for them and more power um, than later in the quote unquote enlightenment when uh, a lot of the um, Greek values, which placed incredible preeminence on the male form, the male ideal, men in general. Um, and then of course the burning times was used to, uh, to, eliminate a lot of women who had power or goods riches um so that uh so that their burgeoning powers could be curtailed um so in the dark ages um n nuns um and abbesses were sort of 
they were only under the power of the Pope. Uh, bishops did not have power over abbesses. Well, can you tell the, the listener what an abbess is, was? Is, was. Well, was, I is. Think, is, was, uh, was, is, was, was, is, and will be, yeah. Jody, do we still, in, in our grand church, do we still have abbesses? Are they still uh, around? Yes, we do. Okay. But that's about not as many as we used to. That's what I thought. Okay. Go on. Thanks. Sorry. Thanks to the <laughs> women's movement. <laughs> well, I'm going to actually throw that question to Jody since I think this is more in her bailiwick. Go for it. Oh, about nuns? Oh, about what an abbess is. Abbess. And, an yeah. abbess is, is the, um, is the, so in the medieval era, there were large religious houses, monastic houses. Um, some were obviously, uh, you know, populated by men and the others were populated by women. And many of these women were, uh, the full nuns were often from upper class families. And an abbess was usually from a very aristocratic family. And they brought a lot of money with them when they joined the abbey. Um, the lay sisters were often sort of the working class. So the ones who did a lot of the physical work at these religious houses uh, were, were usually lower class peasants. Well, that's interesting. I, I didn't realize that there was yeah. quite a class system inside. And by the way, the, an abbess then is she's the... She's the, the boss, the boss she's of all bosses of the nuns. Okay. Yeah, she's the chief. And, and you're saying there's a class system inside there. Yeah. So when you hear about lay sisters, they're usually the ones doing the cooking and the cleaning. Um, and the managers would all be, because usually the managers came with money, sort of like a dowry. Um, and many of them, I mean, it was a place, you know, of safety and scholarship for women. Um, outside of the typical marriage family scenario. So would uh, would would a would a woman who became a nun back then, or, um, would it have been the case where she would have kind of like forced the hand of the family, or would it be in most cases the family says you are the chosen nun, uh, you're the one like sort of like the youngest son would often become a priest. Uh, was there something like that, or was this a way, if you were kind of a what we call a modern woman, that you wanted to be in a different circumstance, so you kind of worked your way into getting into the convent? I think it's all of the above. Sometimes women were kind of, some women were there against their will, probably, or misbehaving um, <laughs> by their families, right? They were put... Right. They were put as went on for many years. Um, but I think, I think a lot of, you know, and I think we don't understand or we forget how important religion, the Catholic religion played in everyone's lives during that period. So to have someone in uh, a religious community like that was, was a great honor and kind of insurance against going to hell. Yeah. So, um, could it be insurance also for its its political leverage, its social leverage too? Because the church had such influence, and would they be expected to lobby on behalf of a family or their family in these situations? Uh, I, I mean, I don't know if politically so much because I think they were in the region certainly. 
Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, they were big landowners and they provided, you know, a lot of the social services in the community around them. Um, I I would say that they probably had some power, um, but certainly, certainly not like a uh, a regular uh, diocesan priest or bishop or. Interesting. Because most of them were fairly contemplative orders, you know. Right. So not reaching out to the world. Uh, um, generally not, no. Well, Dawn, there what? Def- yeah, there were definitely exceptions to that. Um, you know, and who knows if the exception proves the rule. But, um, but yeah, in the, um, in the 10th and 11th centuries, uh, there are some examples, um, and 13th, around that, that whole time period. There were some really wonderful examples of abbesses who had enormous power. And essentially, you know, they did, uh, abbeys would be connected with, tra- with you know, enormous uh, land owning. Um, so they essentially um, ruled like barons. And, yeah. uh, and the peasants, also known as serfs at that time, were connected to the land. So if, essentially, if you owned the land, you owned the serfs. That are connected to that land. So uh, there are examples of um, of nuns, uh, excuse me, of abbesses that uh, that raised standing armies that uh, went to war with each other over land. Oh well, I have to hear about this because it's, <laughs> they talk about in the ancient world. There's one example and only one example they can think of. When the wife of Alexander the Great and the mother of Alexander the Great both led armies against each other, so mm-hmm. it was one of the few examples of women leading armies into battle against each other. So yeah. you're so you're saying that they they would actually these abbesses would there are cases or instances where they led their armies into battle against each other. Well, I, I would say it would be more like local skirmishes because these right. were localized power centers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, very much independent um, of the surrounding world, the sort of outside non-religious secular world, um, but within their within their abbess, within their their locality, uh, they had quite a bit of power. So, yes, mm-hmm. if abbesses were um, fighting over a, la- a tract of land with each, either each other or outside forces. Um, they would, uh, they could raise an army and uh, and physically do battle. Um, I told you a, a story that I that sort of was my gateway into learning all of this information, which was about uh, Abbas Odette de Pougy, who was uh, in 1265 um, under the reign of Pope Urban the Fourth. Pope Urban IV wanted to build a church on the site of his uh, father's shoemaker shop, where his shoemaker shop once stood. He wanted to build a church there in honor of his father, but the land was owned by Abbess Odette's monastery. And uh, and she said, no, the property belonged to her abbey, so uh, she was going to say no to that project. So Pope Urban... Uh, sent workers to uh, go ahead and and break ground anyway 
and uh, the abbess responded with an armed party that drove the workers from the site. Two years later, the Pope tried again, and once more, Odette sent armed men to remove the Pope's men from her land. So the Pope, uh, enraged that she would flout him in this way, excommunicated her entire abbey. However, it did not seem to stop her or slow her down one little bit because oh. I love it because the 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 you know his um, his censure remained in effect for fourteen years through which she continued to you know rule her land and her abbey and uh, it wasn't until after her death that the Pope was able to get in there and build his church. So, so this is kind of like a governor standing off against the president in some exactly, sense. Exactly, exactly. My yeah. land, and you're not coming in here. Exactly. Abbas writes. Abbas writes. Yeah, you want to build that church? You got to go through me. Wow. Yeah, um, there were abbesses that had coins struck in their image, uh, so were essentially creating currency for their their region. Um. You know, they they uh, had a great deal of wealth from the goods that came from the land. Um, and this was sort of the the way it was for around 400 years-ish. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so nuns and abbesses have uh, had considerable power at that time. What, Jody, what would have been in the the religious sense in the church structure? What would have been their role or power? Well, uh, I mean, I I was just going to add, you know, because the Catholic Church, um, unlike the Protestant Church, puts a big emphasis on the worship of Mary. Um, oh, yeah. The the abbesses and the sisters would have been kind of physical manifestations of sort of Marian worship. Um, so they, they would have been pretty powerful in the sense, in, in much the way a regional baron is. Mm -hmm. And they also would provide, um, especially in places like France and Spain, they would have had guest houses uh, for, for people that were making the pilgrimage uh, to various shrines like Santiago Compostela in Spain. So mm -hmm. that... They provided, I guess, you know, shelter to the wandering traveler as well. Yeah. So there's Mary. There, there's. I mean, it's an important part of the vener of the Catholic Church veneration of Mary, uh, which I also think, in my opinion, has always had this potential for having this face of female within this kind of faith structure um, for all the different ways that that could play out. Um, but, you know, it's interesting you're saying people would stay over and would come through. Were these abbesses and, and did they always, uh, like we know the priests obviously did not always keep their vows in that way. Were there any issues in terms of fraternization with people who came through? Were there any scandals? Was that ever a problem from a church standpoint? Oh, uh, all standpoint? the religious houses, I think. Yeah, I figured. Yeah, okay. Because, okay. I, I mean, again, there were a lot of people there that, that were there really from economic for economic reasons, um, or being, you know, dumped there by their families. And at a very young age, you know, I think eventually not everybody has the vocation 
Right. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's tons of stories of, you know, about, you know, excavating ruins, you know, at English monasteries and, 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 uh, you know, convents and, you know, finding babies in the walls, you know, so people did get into trouble. That's what happened with also the, the males who took vocations. Yeah. Now, I, I think, Don, you had also mentioned that there were, there was a law. Where was the region where they, uh, the nuns were so... Around in the region of France is, okay. uh, is where you see a lot of this stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, there were reports of, um, of you know, the sort of uh, wealth displayed in the abbeys that abbesses and would, um, you know, receive uh, noble guests and would feast them on a plate of silver and gold and cups of silver and gold and and uh, glass windows they had glass windows in some of the abbeys which was an incredible expense, like a cr- yeah. rare expense and luxury at the time exactly um in um the 15th century uh was when all of this started to um be called to account uh because there was record of an abbess who had decided to set about cleaning up and reforming the religious institutions because they did have this reputation for not only being homes of wealth, but also often homes of debauchery. Um, and uh, so she uh, she started with her local uh, monastery. And please excuse my French pronunciation. I am not a French speaker. But now, Jody, uh, I think you can help with the French. Is that correct? If I remember correctly, a little, yes. Okay, it's, all right. Um, it's the monastery of Fontevrault, F O N T E V R A U L T. Fontevrault, yeah. Yeah. So this was this was essentially had become essentially a fortress um, because uh, there was quite a a few warrior monks and nuns that had collected there. And so um, Abbess René de, de Bourbon, uh, it took her 12 years to, to get in there uh, and wrest control of the place. Uh, she raised a huge army in uh, Paris in 1477 and attacked the renegade monastery with overwhelming force. <laughs> Yep. Renegade it. monastery, isn't that a great I, phrase? Exactly. I love the abbess. <laughs> but well, now, okay. So, a couple of questions. Well, one thing is, I want to hear more about just the warrior nun concept. Mm-hmm. But didn't you mention to me that there was a law that's there was one uh, abbey where the nuns were so violent, potentially possibly, that they had to have a law to keep people away from the yeah. convent, yeah, yeah. not for the protection of the nuns, but for the people. To be safe. Indeed. Yeah. The con- the convents became so powerful with these standing armies that um, that uh, various popes apparently established decrees against women engaging in martial combat in an attempt to weaken these armies. And there was a papal ban against women wearing armor wow. that eventually became the technicality that allowed Joan of Arc to be sentenced to heresy because she was a, a woman who 
wore armor. Always on the fashion. Always on the fashion. Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> well, you you have to wonder if Joan of Arc, I mean, I'm sure she she believed, you know, in what she believed, but her choice of religion as a vehicle for getting out of her little small town, um, you know, I think that's probably a common theme, you know, for women at that time. Indeed. You, 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 yeah. yeah. Especially if there was a monastery or an abbey around in your area where the abbess was basically the baron of the area. And if you, you know, decided to take take your vows and go into this order, you know, there was a potential of not only spiritual authority, but uh, financial and military authority as well. Which you know is is pretty appealing, considering uh, the secular world did not always offer those opportunities to w- to women, and certainly not to non nobility. Well, and also you mentioned that this abbess's last name was de Bourbon. I mean, that's the French royal family. Um, there you go. There you go. So that's pretty powerful lineage for a nun. Yeah. It's kind of like I know some of the popes that were related were they related to the Medici's? Yeah, they, yeah, yeah, or the Borgias, yeah. yeah, yeah, the Borgias. That's what I'm thinking of, really. Um, so yeah, that seems to be a pretty common theme. You get this someone, a scion of a powerful family, ends up in a political, uh, religious political role or powerful yeah. role. Yeah, and and because um, of the literacy of these powerful women who came from noble families, um, they were also really good at litigation. The, the abbesses kept incredibly good records, yeah. and um, they, of course, collected taxation in their lands, and they uh, kept those monies. And when the greater church wanted to have a piece of that pie, um, they had, uh, you know, the nuns were literate and, and educated in litigation, and they brought out all their records and they essentially defended themselves in court. There must not have been a prohibition against women in lawsuits in these courts. It just strikes me that that would be an era where they maybe wouldn't accept a woman defending herself or speaking in court, but evidently they could. Well, I wonder if uh, she actually you know, spoke in court in person because this is a religious matter. It's not a secular matter. Oh, right. So, so this would be taken care of the church. Court. Yeah, yeah. That's okay, so that would be totally different. Well, you know, you you'd brought up, Dawn, and I know, Jody, this has come up when we've talked just over the years in the past, the benefit of what women had in the, in the so-called Dark Ages versus what occurred later on. Like, can you yeah. go maybe, Dawn, into a little bit more? What, what was there and what was lost eventually? Yes. Well, um, the... One example of, of, of sort of the, uh, the way that sentiment went um, in the time when the abbesses had power, um, Abbess Odysseus of Brindisi was being threatened by a bishop because he wanted to tax her villagers. So, so she appealed to uh, Pope Gregory the Ninth 
and she gave him a list of all of the papal bulls and papal decrees that supported her claims. So um, in March of 1233, Gregory IX issued a decree that supported the abbess against the bishop and included in his statement the prohibition against bishops excommunicating abbesses and their followers. Interesting. What year is this again? 1233. Okay. So that, you know, that act essentially really established the abbess's power to um, to command their communities without fear of anyone except the priest, the pope's uh, censure. And as we see from the story of Abbess Odette, even the pope's censure sometimes didn't matter a whole heck of a lot. But um, in the Council of Trent is when it all started to go south because um, the Council of Trent was from 1545 to 1564. It was all about ecclesiastical reform. And it was in that, and it was in response to Martin Luther. Mm-hmm. But it was it was during that, um, that uh, council that the ability of bishops to restrict um, nuns and abbesses uh, was restored. Um, the 25th session was held on December. I'm reading from a, a reference book here. Um, December 3rd, 1563. And that uh, it concluded that the bishop's duty was to see that the nuns were enclosed, that their movements were restricted, and that if they resisted, they could be dealt with militarily. So it was at that point that the bishops were uh, once again given power over the abbesses and their followers and their um, their communities. And uh, that was sort of the beginning of the decline of their power. Well, and wasn't it after the Reformation that the witch burnings really happened. I mean, there'd always absolutely, been- yeah, yeah. I mean, all of the the uh, the burnings for uh, not just for witchcraft, but for heresy um, against the church uh, were definitely. And then, of course, the whole you know uh, Malleus Maleficarum that was written as as sort of a a textbook for getting someone to confess to witchcraft through torture. Um, and it was definitely targeted at powerful women, um, women who held uh, either social or financial influence so that they could be, uh, you know, their power could be taken away. They could be defanged, essentially. Where would this have occurred? Because we're not talking about, obviously, New World stuff at this point. Where where, where in Europe would this have uh, been targeted? Where was it most, where was it most active and and at what time frame? Because it it does seem like an, a, a really strong and simple way to just weaken women's power, destroy it in a particular locale at a particular time. Well, I personally think it would be places like Germany and England. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, Western Western Europe, all over Western Europe. And around the uh, 16th century, are we talking? After the Enlightenment, yeah. After, oh, uh, so later than that. Okay, later. Yeah. Well, probably the 16th and 17th century. And I think okay. Southern France had some some run-ins. I mean, there's that famous um, convent or monastery in Southern France near Aix-en-Provence called the um, Loudon. 
and that's the there's that famous movie with Oliver Reed and uh, Vanessa Redgrave called The Devils. It was a oh a yeah, movie. the Ken Ru- yeah Ken Russell. That's based on a true story um, where a bunch of nuns started having. I don't know if it was hysteria, sexual hysteria, repression, but they, you know, they started becoming witches or accused of witchcraft and, and the local priest, you know, I think he was having relations with some of them. He was executed. They were burned. Like it was a big scandal. Um, and that was, I think in 1670 or so. So that would be kind of when the enlightenment is first taking off. And that's uh, that. I think that's um, towards the latter end too, yeah. because it. I think it started during the Reformation. I think it started probably right after, uh, around that time of the Council of Trent, when they were really trying to rein in uh, these women's power. Well, so, the witch burning. I think that was Germany, and there was that um, witch master, witch finder. Uh, I can't remember the guy's name in England. I think his name was Hopkins or something that ran around. Yeah, well, the Malleus Maleficarum was, I believe, written in, created by two German men. Yeah. So, yeah, Austria, there's there's quite a bit of history of witch burnings in Austria. Um, so, yeah, around that area of Western Europe, including um, the British Isles. Although Ireland was largely... Catholic. Uh, uh, yeah, and and had a great deal of um, of pagan traditions that continued into the Catholic their Catholic tradition. So um, they didn't have, as far as I know, they didn't have as many uh, witch burnings in Ireland. But I could be wrong about that. Yeah, I don't think so, and I don't think Italy, you know, where the church was very, you know, I. There seemed to be something that popped up when the Protestants and the Catholics started warring amongst themselves. Right. right. Could be. I mean, maybe the fact that now you have this schism in the church. And so the notion that this is an opening for women to exploit an opening, there's already this chaos going on. So the last thing we need is for the ladies to get up in arms. Yeah. So you yeah, get that. Right. You get that whole kind of thing yeah. that goes on. I mean, it's interesting to hear you guys talk about this because. In, in talking about it, I, I'm, I'm thinking that, you know, you have these really powerful opportunities for women in this, in, in the era of Christendom where you have just this universal in the West, this church, and they can take these roles. And once that breaks down, that also breaks down some opportunities for them, uh, yeah. interestingly enough. But it also starts to bubble up other issues that there may be around gender at that time. And then you get the Enlightenment. So you already have this kind of cauldron shaking things up. And right. then you get this, you know, final like sort of blow that comes in where it's okay. We need to keep these women under control. And by the way, isn't it great to be a guy? You know, just look, <laughs> look at the Greeks. And today. by the way, guys are awesome. <laughs> well, and I think just as times with, with progress, I mean, you know, the way our society is currently is you don't have to be a big, strong man to do many of the professional Right. Uh, yeah. Be, you know, jobs. You just have to have a brain and a computer. And I think there. I mean, we've seen recently. I think there is a backlash against women because, yeah. you know, men are no longer superior based on their physicality. Right. Right. They can't. 
claim that 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 is a reason for them to be in control. Yeah. It's also interesting that not a lot is said about this period in history or when it is said, again, it's called that dark age period, but what yeah. an age where you have a greater power and activity for women. So of course, yes. you kind of want to. And, and um, uh, Jody, you touched on the whole cult of Mary and the whole idea of how, um, you know, Mary was was really venerated at that time. The Virgin Mary was really venerated at that time. And the practice of, you know, uh, pe- even the men in power kneeling before a woman's image in order to ask, you know, I, I think really had a larger echo of an effect on the society as a whole. That if your image of perfection and ultimate grace is a female one, then that, you know, that affects the psyche. But, you know, interestingly enough, the, the Mary they worshipped was the virginal one and not yes. the non-sexual uh, one, unlike, right. you know, Mary Magdalene, who probably right. had a bigger role in the church early on than, you know, she was pretty much stamped out by patriarchal forces early on in the church. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that happened really early too. Once you get Constantine making it all kind of work together, so you kind of eliminate that portion that a lot of the Gnostics had with respect yes. to Mary Magdalene. Well, yeah, Sophia, goddess of wisdom, mm-hmm. uh, played quite a quite a large part in um, in the early church through the strain of Gnosticism that was present until. Um, until yeah until constantine uh, formalized the catholic church and and created canon of belief yeah um, there was i mean there's a lot this that this could be a whole other cast if you guys want to talk about that at some other the council of nicaea yeah yeah, all just, of that stuff, and yeah. Just the gnostics and the way women in the early church were were viewed but but wow. even so, you know, when you talk about you know the virginal Mary, uh, Jody, there's also I mean, I still there is still the, the the idea too. Even with the virginal Mary, there is some feminine locus for spirituality, and that yeah. you see men kind of focusing on. I mean, it's still to to this day. I mean, the rosary. Yeah, and she intercedes. Yeah, I mean, she plays an important role. Yeah. So speaking of this day, um, Sean, you were mentioning earlier that. Um, the number of nuns is is dramatically decreasing. Oh yes, um, especially in recent history, and uh, um, you know, I I am not a Catholic, so I haven't really kept up with the current history of the Catholic Church. But um, I do remember the nuns on the bus. Do you guys remember that? What do you mean? Uh, from it was it was in the early 2000s um, where uh, and the only reason I you know again the only reason it comes to um, common knowledge is because they were criticized by uh, Pope Benedict um, but they were they were uh, because they you know he accused them of having radical feminist themes um, but they uh, embraced the uh, issues of social justice, saying that you know the church, um, the church's role and their role in the church was very much one of making sure that 
that there was a, a strong commitment to social justice in the in the church's um, doings. And uh, yeah, in the in the early like around 2011. I believe. I remember. I remember who you're talking about. Yeah. They they do have a a lobby a group. I mean it. They it's it's funny because I I don't know if it's the question of you know how visible nuns are anymore, but that is an example of just how they're not so visible. So that when you do see them, at least I don't know how you feel, Jody, but I I sort of feel like oh I've just seen a nun. Like I don't I don't see yeah. nuns. I go to mass and i don't really see nuns that much well and they they used to be the ones that ran the catholic schools and i know yep. there's there's a lot of kind of backlash against nuns and i get that you know especially in the inner cities on the east coast nuns you know could be kind of brutal um but i experienced um as a child i used to go to camp every summer outside of san francisco uh, to a boarding school that was run by Dominican nuns. And my aunt was a Dominican nun. And unlike earlier Dominicans, these these nuns were so progressive. And I mean, we used to sing songs, you know, we used to sing all the folkies, Peter, Paul, and Mary, and, and Woody Guthrie songs. And, and uh, it was a very, these were very educated and progressive nuns. And, and I think, you know, I mean, granted, it tended to be, you know, kind of the more expensive Catholic education, but nuns were, you know, have all, there was always a place for progressive, uh, educated nuns. And, uh, you know, they were, they played a big role, you know, in the 60s and 70s in, you know, liberation theology movements in South America and places. Um, you know, the Mary Knoll nuns are very famous for, for their good works. And I think it was El Salvador that a bunch of them were murdered. Mm-hmm. Right. Yes. Because I of their that. political activity. Right. It's the same thing with priests, although the, the curve is flatter because, um, you know, I looked at a stat, Jody, I had told Dawn about that. It was like 1965, there were almost 200,000 nuns, um, yeah. about 80,000 in the U.S., and there were about 50,000 60,000 priests. And then by 2014, that number had gone down to 38,000. And then the most recent one I saw, I think for 2018, it's at 31,000. So that's a pretty steep drop. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's, there's, you know, uh, just because I've looked for my kids, I mean, many of the, the Catholic schools and hospitals that used to be run by nuns are now not run by nuns. I know. Maybe there's one elderly nun who's, you know, still in charge. Um, and actually, the the camp um, that I went to was a kind of well known boarding school up in in Marin County. They they went nonprofit, non religious, um, yeah. like a year or two ago because there's just not enough, you know. And I it'll be interesting to see if if that changes. I'm sure each of us as Catholics have an idea, but why do you think that there is that steep a drop off from nuns? In terms of uh, people becoming nuns. Oh, I just think there was so much more opportunity for women, you know, in the late 60s and early 70s. And, you know, I mean, in our old society, whether it's, you know, uh, in the United States or other places, you know, there are people that did not want, for a variety of reasons, the traditional uh, 
married life. Right. And, or didn't have the opportunities for whatever reason. And this gave them, you know, the opportunity to have a purpose in the life, you know, other than being like a spinster school teacher. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, different opportunities. Different yeah. opportunities. And I, I will say, you know, being a secular person, I will say that, um, you know, part of the reason that I tend to create art um, in in circles that do not that that exclude that deliberately exclude cis het males is because there is this energy that I find comes out when you have a room full of women who are not who are sort of allowed to free their voices in a way that they tend not to when we're in mixed gender company. Um, And I would imagine that that, uh, you know, as in a time where there weren't other opportunities to have that kind of experience, you know, before the sort of consciousness raising groups of women's lib, uh, that it would be that someone who was seeking that kind of experience uh, could have found it um, by being a nurse. Yeah. Yeah. It was a safe place. Yeah. Well, because I mean, there is, there has always been women have silenced themselves so that they can, you know, gain the approval of men. Right. Right. And in some cases so that they can survive. Right. I mean, sometimes it's it's a voluntary choice and sometimes yeah. it's, yeah, I mean, you know, this recent pandemic, I mean, there's, you know, it's been in the newspapers how many women forced to shelter at home are, have been right. placed in very dangerous circumstances. Right. Wow. Because of domestic violence. Yeah. I want to thank you both for coming and talking on this topic. Uh, I think that's, I mean, in ending on that, I think it's it's an interesting way to look at what these groups of women were like, why they were, or went into that particular circumstance and all the, the kinds of things, the actions that they took that have been kind of buried and that are interesting to hear about, the power they've wielded and the, uh, the force that they had. So on that note, I just want to... Thank uh, Jody Buckley-Reardon and Don Sam Alden for joining us on the 34 Circe podcast. Make Matriarchy Great Again. We're talking about warrior nuns and abbesses. Thank you for listening. I'm Sean Newcomb, and we'll be back again. Bye.